Hey guys, and welcome to the next episode of the Shane Walsh Podcast. So today is episode 235, which is crazy. So I just want to say a massive thank you to everyone who has listened to any episode, any minute, every second, whatever it is, um, over the last nearly th- just over three years of the podcast. And today's guest is someone who has helped me along the way. And it's his fourth appearance on the podcast, I think. So today's guest is Brian Keane. So Brian is a two-time best-selling author. The Brian Keane podcast has over 5 million downloads. And I've been on it. And I will be on it again in the next little while. Brian's also a nutritionist. He's a coach. And he is the author of his brand new book, The Keane Edge, which is aimed at kind of getting rid of kind of a lot of the myths around kind of fat loss and we go into a lot of detail and it's there's a lot of insights and so you're probably going to need a pen and paper into a lot of the stuff that we're going to talk about today so we kind of talk about like slimming clubs um, and why they they do work and one of the things that brian talks about in the book is like slimming clubs why they work and why they don't work uh, for some and uh, we also talk about keeping your favorite foods in your routine like you don't have to restrict to get to your goal what diet actually means it means way of life so drop drop trying to make yourself miserable with it we talk about sleep as an undervalued tool and sleep hacks we talk about stress some of the books that brian recommends as well we talk about how to get away from the mindset of good v bad foods we talk about self-sabotage we talk about the fuck up button we talk about a few other things regarding kind of nutrition um and it's really really insightful and i do think that a lot of people are going to to kind of look at it and kind of say that's me and pinpoint certain things and certain thought processes they have around foods so what i would recommend guys is if you haven't bought any of brian's books um i would highly recommend to go and buy one but i'd highly if you are new to nutrition or new to fitness or if you're starting out in your journey and you're looking for a book that you can just revert back to all the time i would highly encourage you to go and buy the keen edge off amazon or bookstation or an easton's or whatever it may be so all the show notes all the links in the bio they will have a link to it so if you want to go and buy it or go down to the, to the local store and get it but i would highly encourage you to go go and buy it i've had the the, the pleasure of actually reading it myself so massive thank you for brian for for sending that over but guys i hope you enjoy the episode with brian King. brian how are we sir shane i am fantastic mate looking forward to chatting i know we just touched base a little bit before we were recording but long overdue i feel like this is definitely round 15 between both podcasts at this stage i'd say um, between all three or all four podcasts is about 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 15 yeah it's got to be close to that now but man i love every one of the conversation so uh looking forward to catching up today congratulations on the new book we're recording this on the day of the launch so congratulations yeah, man, absolutely delighted with it. It was a lot of work went into this one. So it's it's kind of my magnus opus when it comes to fitness and nutrition. So again, it'll it'll people will take it up the way they want to take it up. We talked about that a little bit before we went on air. Um, but yeah, I'm really, really happy with it. Delighted with the end product. When I saw it the first time I went to do to Dublin to do a signing for the bookstation, and that was the first time I actually physically saw it. And I was like, oh my God, this looks class. So I'm really happy with it personally. And what's the kind of what's the big kind of like underlying message behind the Keen Edge, which is the name of the book, which is a which is a great name. What's the big kind of key message and kind of main ethos of the book? Because it's very different to what the other ones are. Yeah, it's it's very much down from the mindset side of nutrition. So my working title for say seventy percent of the writing process was the nutrition mindset. It was never going to be that, but it was that was where my head was at when I was writing it. And it the idea and the the, the short synopsis is. It's not the diet that's the problem. Most diets tend to work. 
it's your approach to it and your mindset to it. So I try to write a book that one address that mindset side of things. So, you know, self-sabotage, falling off plan, pressing the fuck it button, not resetting, not having all these tools and strategies, not seeing failure as a good thing and feedback as to what to not do with your diet going forward. All of these things that were holding a lot of people back. But I also wanted to create something that you could plug into any diet. You know, I break down in the second section of the book, all the popular nutritional strategies. So intermittent fasting and vegan diets and ketogenic diets. And I even talking there about slimming clubs and the pros and the cons, spoiler alert, they're mostly cons. Um, as you know, and people for long-term listeners of this podcast know, but I try to, to kind of cover everything from the nutrition side. So I wanted to have it as kind of a one-stop shop. Like that's what Trish said. Trish wrote, Trisha Lewis has been on the podcast, been on both of our podcasts. Um, that was her kind of feedback from us when she did one of the proofreads for me. She was like, oh my God, it's a one-stop shop for everything. If I fall off track, I'm going to come back to this book. And we took something similar and put it into the blurb on the cover of the book. Um, but that was what I wanted to write for people who have failed with diets several times to get themselves back on track or for those who are at the start of their journey who want to set themselves up the correct way so that they have a you know increased chance of success. So that was the whole kind of idea and the premise of the book that it's not necessarily the diet that's the issue. Although I touch on everything, diet, training, sleep, stress, supplements, all the stuff that you would normally cover in what would be a kind of a health, holistic health and fitness and fat loss book. But I wanted to make sure that it was something that people could use to help them get back on track or get them up and running. And I tried to write a book that hadn't been written. You know, it's something that I don't send people to, you know, me Shane more than anybody that uh, there's a book out there that's written. I'm like, go read this. You know, yeah. I don't need to write that book. I'll recommend it to somebody. But for me, I didn't have a nutrition mindset book I could send people to. So I wanted to write that one so that I could kind of deliver it to my audience and hopefully it's something that'll help people a lot. You mentioned something there about people failing diets, and there's kind of like this. Obviously, both sides of the argument is: do people fail diets, or do diets fail people? And where do you kind of stand on that side of things? Yeah, it's a great question. I know you cover this a lot on the podcast, and we've talked about it a little bit in conversations yeah. before. I think, I think it depends. I think it really depends. Like when it comes to people failing diets or diet failing people, the the root answer is the same because. It's kind of the thought process you have going into a diet. So when it comes to people failing diets, if you don't have the right fit, you know, the analogy I use in the book is square pegs into square holes. I'm like certain diets, same with personal trainers, coaches are square holes. If you're a round peg, that diet's not going to work into your lifestyle. It's not going to work into your schedule. You know, for somebody like me, who has a massive sweet tooth, who loves chocolate, who drinks occasionally, like I'm not going to be able to follow a ketogenic diet year round. I just flat out won't be able to do it. I'll do it if I'm training for a race and I'll go in and out of ketosis because it suits sometimes for training and performance, but I wouldn't be able to stick to that. So for me, that option just wouldn't work for me. Whereas that's brilliant for somebody else, somebody who doesn't care about, you know, food pressures or going out to restaurants and just is performance, 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 you know, buyer hacker performance. They're going to work great with something like that, you know, so you need to take the context. So I think when it comes to people failing diets, it's the square peg into square holes. When it flips the other way, diets failing people, I have a chapter in the book that I call the diet paradox. And that was one of my other working titles for the book, because you know this and your platforms are brilliant for this. And all the people you work with, Shane, is the exact same, that there's a paradox around diets when it comes to people think that either the best way to lose fat and lose weight is to diet or worse, the only way to lose fat or to lose weight is to diet. And that whole 
thinking process is completely broken. Like if you think about it logically, what happens to a lot of people is they'll go on to quote unquote a diet, which in normally successful cases is some form of caloric deficit, whether they know it or not, where they're reducing the amount of sweets they're eating, reducing the amount of biscuits they're eating, and their calories are dropping as a result, and they're tapping into stored fat and their body's in a deficit, which is helping them burn that stored fat on their body for fuel. That's happening. And if you think about that logically, you can only go so low with calorie intake. So you either track those calories and you go below your maintenance. So let's say it's 2000 calories and you start eating 1600 and then you want to lose more fat. So you go to 1500 and you want to lose more fat. So you go to 1400 and 1300 and 1200 before you know it, you're at your basic metabolic rate, like literally eating the amount of calories that a seven-year-old girl would need yeah. and there's no coming back from that now you then then have the downside of you know um uh, the, the misconceptions around starvation mode which generally isn't the case starvation mode's a real thing talk to the people in the gulags or the concentration camp survivors like starvation mode's a legit thing but in the fitness industry it's generally not like what starvation mode generally looks like is an inability to adhere to a plan over a period of time and not understanding basic calories i.e i've eaten well all week and i've overdone it at the weekend because i can't stick to it and that calorie being too high which leads to fat increase or a decrease in metabolic rate, i.e. your body's ability to burn calories while you rest because you dropped calories too low because you weren't moving around as much and burning as many calories in your niche activity, your non-exercise activity thermogenesis, or you're not able to train as hard as you would, thus keeping your metabolism slower. You know, that's where I think that thought process of diets is completely broken because if you think about it logically, the smart thing to do is to find a plan, obviously, that works for you. Don't drop your calories too low. Add in some form of resistance training if you can. You don't need to, but it helps. Like the analogy I use in the book is resistance training is like making money while you sleep when it comes to burning calories. Your body will continuously burn more calories while you rest. And adding that in is a massive string to your bow. And then looking at your sleep and improving your sleep quality, which will balance out everything hormonally wise, you know, your, your ghrelin, your hunger hormone, your leptin, your satiation hormone, stuff that, you know, you've covered at length on different podcasts and on different channels on Instagram, et cetera. So it's that, and that's not the diet mindset. That's effectively the nutrition mindset or the keen edge. That's it kind of in a nutshell when it comes to setting yourself up for long-term success, finding a nutritional plan that includes foods that you enjoy, that fits into your lifestyle and schedule, and it's in alignment with your specific goals. And then using things that will complement that, you know, a sleep regimen, a training program, generally something you enjoy, particularly for fat loss. You don't have to go to the gym, but you know, you might want to walk more up your step counter or go for hikes or whatever it is. And then maybe you add in a couple of supplements for that last 5%. That's effectively what the keen edge is. And you mentioned there about kind of the restrictive mindset and you talk about that kind of like the more inclusive thing. And when people kind of hear that, it's like, that's too easy. It's kind of like, yeah, but like diet means way of life. It doesn't mean death sentence. And one of the big things that kind of comes in an awful lot, if they've come from certain slim and backgrounds, and there's a reason why one of them has left Ireland, um, <laughs> with good or bad foods, how, like if you have two tips, two top tips to get someone away from the good v bad food mindset, what would they be? One is understanding, a, and this sounds so obvious, that food doesn't have morals. Any good or bad label you've put on, you've given it to that food or you've been conditioned through some of those clubs to associate foods being good or bad, i.e. lots of sins or lots of points. 
food has no morals. Like a piece of broccoli is not going to save you from a burning building and a chocolate bar is not going to stab you down a back alley. They're, they're not good or bad. The context matters. And one of the examples I use in the book is like a chocolate bar. Like if your goal is to lose body fat, a chocolate bar has probably about 260 calories. Okay. You probably don't want to eat 10 of them. If you eat 10 of them, it's closer to 2,600 calories. That's not going to support a caloric deficit plan. But one a day calorie control plan, especially if it's the thing that allows you to adhere and stick to that plan, is a very, very, quote unquote, good food to include in your plan versus this. Well, chocolate's bad. Biscuits bad. Beer is bad. Wine is bad. I'm like, where's the context? I'm like, one of my biggest pet peeves, one of the reasons for writing the book, but also when I'm recording podcasts is no context being applied to general nutritional rules. I'm like, it depends. You know, sugar is not a bad food. Like if you, and, and, and uh, the diabetic, too much of it in the wrong context will kill them. In the right context can save their life. I'm like, all food is like that. The context matters greatly. And I think when it comes to the slimming club, like you mentioned as well, that good or bad is, is conditioned. And when you realize that you learned that, you probably need to unlearn it as well. And that's just deconditioning yourself. And if you've been doing slimming clubs, any of them, you know, we again, won't name them on here just because we both get in trouble when we do. Again. But most people know the ones we're on about, the most popular ones. If you've been doing those for years, you're going to have a conditioning around food that's not going to be broken easily. You know, the analogy I use in the book, I actually use this in my first book as well, just to talk about habits, is it's like seeds in the ground. You know, if you put a seed into the ground, it's relatively straightforward to dig up, i.e. you've done a diet for the last two, three weeks. You don't really have any hardwired conditioning. You know, you can break that at any time. But if you have a sapling in the ground, it's a little bit harder to take out of the ground. And if you have a full-blown oak tree, that shit's really difficult to dig out of the ground. And that's how slimming clubs are when it comes to reinforcing bad nutritional principles. If you've been doing it for five, six, seven, eight, 19 years on and off, you're constantly conditioning yourself for this unsupportive belief system around food, which isn't helping you with your goal generally, but also isn't helping you with your nutrition. Like slimming world particularly fucking does my head and again i'll take, take the hit on this is it, like that all i can describe and i've said this to you before shane i can't remember if it's on or off air like when people were designing sins for slimming world i felt like it was just a random bunch of people in a room throwing fucking darts at a dartboard going boom x amount of sins boom y amount of sins i'm like where the fuck did any of this come from i'm like it's not grounded in any nutritional science it's just a bunch of people in a room or monkeys in a room throwing darts at a dartboard like that's not useful when it comes to nutritional education or when it comes to long term sustainable weight loss or fat loss. Now I get the temptation, you know, I, I break down the pros and cons, you know, as much as I shit on some of these clubs, I break down the pros in the book. And I talk about, look, the community aspect can be helpful. The simplicity aspect can be helpful. You know, the analogy I use, it's like me and my car. I have no interest in my car, like zero. Don't care. It's literally full on. Does it go? Does it go A to B, A to Z? Brilliant. So if I bring it into my mechanic, I don't care if the engine's gone or if there's something wrong with the steering wheel. I'm like, just fix it. I don't care. A lot of people are like that with their diet. Now, I geek out on nutrition. Like, I love learning about the science. I love testing out the ideas of my body. But most people aren't like me. They're not like you. They just want a straightforward plan that works for them, like me with my car. So I 100% get it. And where these slimming clubs tend to have the advantage is they're not selling rocket science. If you can do basic math, 
two points, three points, four cents, six cents, you're able to be like, well, I have a certain amount of 20 cents or 30 cents or 50 points or 100 points, whatever it is I can do for the day. I need to fit in foods that map to those points. So it's selling you on simplicity. But if you're not aware that that's not grounded in anything nutritionally in terms of science or anything that's going to be supportive for you going forward, it's too easy to go back and do it consistently. Like Shane, you've had this conversation with clients. I know because we've had these conversations, whereas I'll get somebody that will work for me less so now because I've done so many episodes and preconditioning of people on podcasts, et cetera, where somebody will come to me and go, I've done Slimming World before. or I've done Weight Watchers before. It worked really well. And yeah. then I'll pause and I go, okay, did it though? And they're like, yeah, it did. It worked really well. I lost two stone. I'm like, okay. You, you, you put on three stone since you did it though. They're like, yeah, yeah, but it worked really well when I was doing it. And I'm like, okay. I was like, well, your definition of working well and my definition of working well are very different here. My definition of working well is you've lost two stone and you didn't find it again. You, you lost it and it's gone. Slimming clubs tend to have that rebound effect, which brings people into them. It's actually a brilliant part of me admires the business model, although the yeah. ethics are all over the fucking shop because it, it's the high end of it, I, I can. The closest thing to slimming clubs are like the fucking drug dealer who gives you a little bit of heroin is like the first one is free. Like, you know, that's as close as you'll get to it, where it's like, OK, we'll bring you in. You lose a bit of weight. You put it back on and then you'll be back to us. You know, so you're on this fucking roller coaster ride of up and down with your weight. So a part of me is like, oh, like the same way as a heroin dealer knows if they give you the first one for free, you'll come back. It's the same idea. And I think it's really important for people to understand that's the business model. That's how it's sold, you know. And if you want something that's going to work for you, you're looking at alternatives. You're looking at the coaches like Shane. You're looking at coaches like me. And there's loads of great coaches out there. It's the thing to find who's a good fit for you, female, male whatever gender, you know, everything in between, you know, local, online, depends. It's about finding what works best for you. And that's the most important thing. But when it comes to separating food into those good and bad categories, it's understanding where the advice is coming from that that won't be that supportive long-term and don't separate those foods into good and bad categories, particularly without the context, because that's just not helpful for anybody. Yeah. And I think when you were talking about kind of the heroin dealer, have you ever seen the, the program or the series Dope Sick? The new series. No, 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 it's on my, no, it's on my wish list, though. I, it's I, very I, like I, that. Yes, like, it's, on my, it's on my wish list. On Disney. It's, it, yeah, it's very, yeah. very good. And it's very like what you just said, in that they're trying to feed the bottom line. They're making up terms in order to feed the bank balance. And they don't really mind what's going on behind it. It's that kind of double-edged sword for, for both sides. They're making up words. Sinned, sins isn't even spelt right. Um, hey, I, lo I love every time I put sins in you comment you're like <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I was like boy. every time <laughs> um, but one of the things you kind of like you talk about in the book about kind of like the, the, the mindset needed to get up to make any diet work mm. what is that mindset that you think that people kind of are missing uh, to kind of make the diet work for themselves because when people hear diet they automatically go restriction yeah and I think that's the big thing like when you come into a diet with a restrictive mindset, that's a, a, a recipe for failure from the get-go. And what I mean by that restrictive mindset is there's going to have to be some element of restriction somewhere. Like, I'm, I can't and I wish I could uh, come on here and say, look, eat whatever the fuck you want and do this and you'll lose a load of body fat. That, that's not how body fat works and body fat reduction works. There's some element of restriction, but you determine as the person looking 
to lose weight, where that restriction comes from. And professionally, I don't like the restriction coming from foods. I like it coming from a reduction in overall calories, which means a little bit more of a conscious food choice. So you can have multiple ways to do this. You know, for me, I don't get people to eliminate any food. I don't say any food is off limits, but I will say, well, don't go to McDonald's three times a day. Don't eat 10 chocolate bars every evening. Don't have a tub of ice cream every night. Like there are things that aren't going to support your weight loss journey, fat loss journey, regardless of what you want to do. But within the right context and a small bit can potentially help. So when it comes to making any diet fit for you, it's about first identifying, well, where's my restriction coming from? You know, what does restriction look like for me? Is it a little bit more education around food so that I can eat a lot of food and still lose a lot of body fat? Like people confuse, and you know this, Shane, people confuse caloric quantity with food quantity. Two completely different things. You know, I wouldn't use the number in my bank account to measure how good I am in bed. I'm like, those two things don't correlate for the most part, unless you're buying prostitutes and hookers, maybe they do. But for the most part, they don't. And when it comes to food quantity and caloric quantity, it's similar. You can eat a lot of food and not have a lot of calories. And the reverse, you can eat a lot of calories and not eat a lot of food. The example being McDonald's two, three times a day. Like if you go to McDonald's twice a day, you're probably consuming three, 4,000 calories straight away there from a couple Easy. of major meals, you know, and that's not an awful lot of food. And people get that confused. You know, um, Christmas is a great example of this. Like you can sit and I did it, you know, you're sitting and eating loads of chocolate, like I'm all over the quality street and, you know, the boxes of roses, et cetera, whatever people's pick of poison is like you can sit there and eat them all day like there's not an awful lot of food in those but the calories are very very high so if you're doing a version of that in january february march april may with whatever food you're eating yeah of course if your calories are too high you're not going to be able to lose body fat so you, you need to understand that there's going to be some form of restriction somewhere even if it, it means educating yourself around basic caloric intake versus food quantity i.e you know vegetables most of them have quite low calories quite high nutrients and they can work quite well. That's why a lot of coaches will recommend plant-based or more plants in people's diets. That's literally the reason for the most part. Some people don't like their plants. Again, different question, different issue, but just to give yeah. context to this. With diet then and making it fit for you, my biggest issues, or not even issues, the biggest things that I've seen people fall down on is the self-sabotage. Like that's literally- yeah, And that's a big thing in the book. It's a huge thing. And I literally opened the self-sabotage chapter with this is possibly the reason you picked up this book because so many people that I've worked with over the years have struggled with it. And I have a very two very basic premises when it comes to dealing with self-sabotage. Now I have tools in there that work for different people and it's about finding what's going to be for you. But the two premises and major ones are not pressing the fuck button and resetting if you do. And what I mean by that is that applies to any diet you follow. So if you're following a plan, whatever that plan looks like for you, ideally one that includes foods that you enjoy in alignment with your goals that fits into your lifestyle and schedule, ideally one that does that, regardless of what that looks like or what the tactics are, the strategy for that is. If you fall off track, i.e. you go off plan for a day, it doesn't turn into the whole weekend or a week. If you go off plan in the morning, you get back on plan for the afternoon. You know, the analogy I use, and I've used it several times, I know you use a similar one, is having one bad meal and then pressing the fuck it button on your diet is like getting a flat tire on the road and then getting out of your car and slashing the other three tires because one went flat. It's the dietary and nutritional equivalent of that. So you're not pressing the fuck it button. You push 
if you do, you reset and you go again. You know, I got both of those concepts, one from Paul Dermody, which is the fuck it button. And the reset was from Trisha, who we talked about earlier. So if you do fall off track, you reset and you're back on track for the next meal. The thing is with diet and nutrition, and you know this, Shane, particularly with weight loss and fat loss, you don't need to have a 100% strike rate. That's the, the fucking crazy thing about it. If you have a 75 or 80% strike rate and do it right, 75, 80% of the time, you'll get great results. It's unbelievable. Like, and you also have to do damage limitation, hence the pressing the fucking button and reset. Like, if you're in a hole, you don't keep fucking digging if you're trying to get out. And that's what people do sometimes when they're on a diet. And it's just understanding how basic kind of calories work for fat loss. Like the example I use in the book, I use a lot of kind of money and financial examples because it helps people. Is if you're earning 500 euro a week and you're spending nothing Monday to Friday, but you go out of the weekend and you blow a grand on whatever you spend your money on, your bank balance doesn't give a fuck that you didn't spend anything Monday to Friday. It just sees that you're down 500 euro at the end of the week. That's it. And that's how calories work. It doesn't matter if you massively restrict your caloric intake Monday to Friday. If you're binging at the weekend and consuming way too many calories that's putting you into a surplus, that's going to lead to fat gain. Now, I'm also, and you know this, my, my approach, when I'm not working with people directly, I'm like, look, do whatever you want to do. Just don't make the mistake unaware bring a little bit of awareness to it and consciousness to it and then make your decision you know if that's what you're doing and your body fat levels are going up or else you know they're not going down at least you know why and then you can make a change if you decide to and that's when i talk about making diets work for you i also think dieting and i talk about this in the book that it, it needs to look at it like an adjective like a skill like dieting is a skill you acquire it's something that you do as opposed to something that you stay on all the time and i like when people approach that, you know, the analogy I use is fitting, I'll use a lot of analogies, but the example I use is, you know, if you're somebody that, you know, I used to be a fitness model, bodybuilder, et cetera. So I had to acquire the skill of dieting, which meant that I would know what worked for me when it came to getting ready for a photo shoot or a competition, et cetera, back in the days when I did that. So it was a skill. It's not something I did every single day. And I think for a lot of people, when it comes to weight loss and fat loss, seeing dieting as a skill is the key because you can tighten things up then. Like you shouldn't be on a diet half your adult life. Like if you are, you're doing it wrong. It means you haven't found something that's a good fit for you. But if you do and want to pull the lever of losing body fat because you have a wedding or a festival or an event or something coming up that's important for you to look your best, then you pull that lever, you drop your calories slightly, or you up your step counts, or you know, you, you change up your food choices slightly, but you're just kind of maintaining. Like there's a time and a place when you should, you know, I talk about in the book about when to prioritize and when to rest. January is probably a time to prioritize your weight loss and fat loss because you've come come off the back of maybe overindulging for a couple of weeks at Christmas. Christmas wasn't the time to prioritize that. That was a time to take a break from it. I also wouldn't press the fucking button completely though. I would say, you know, don't have you know bulmers on your cornflakes in the morning and don't have fucking quality street for the chafer at the end like don't do that either but enjoy a couple of beers or some wine in the evening and that's how the year will work if you look at it as an overall point in the year you probably don't want to be in a diet really restrictive for the next 12 months but you might do it for 12 weeks and then you'll back off a small bit and you'll bump up the calories a little bit, maybe change your goal. And now you have a, a fitness goal of maybe running the couch to 5K or hitting a PB on a squat or doing something different. And then summer comes, you're like, actually, I'm going to tighten it up a small bit again. I want to get my weight back down. I want to get my body fat 
back down because I want to look my best for summer. And then September, October comes and you back off again. Like that's how I think it should be approached because that's going to be sustainable for most people lifelong versus this, you know, binge restrict cycle that tends to come up most diets. Yeah. And I think it, it's balance. What we're, is balance for Brian will look, look completely different to what balance looks like for me. Like I don't like running. So I, well, I don't know you don't like running, but you do it anyway. Yeah. Um, but I just, don't, I just don't value it enough to kind of give enough to it. Um, and it's, it's about picking your goal and actually figuring out what the why is. Um, when people start going off on diets, they do it for pure scales based outcome when we know what the difference is between weight loss and fat loss is weight loss is what it says in the scales which is your relationship between gravity but a lot of people unfortunately make it about their self-worth when fat loss is how you look and how you feel and how you feel in your clothes the famous not paul paul germany analogy again is you don't go into shop looking for a size 70 kilos you'd be getting sent to john of gods if you did um but one two of the big things that you talk about which i think are kind of like massive pillars are stress and sleep and how important is stress in managing people's lives and the outcome it has with food and some of the hacks that you kind of mentioned in the book and how to manage your stress a little bit better? Yeah, it's a great question because I think that stress is one of those things similar to sleep. I've done a complete 180 on sleep in the last four or five years. So when I started personal training first, I qualified nearly 10 years ago. I, I embarrassingly, when I look back, was sleep was quite low down on the pecking order for me personally and for people I was working with. I had nutrition at the top always, training was underneath it, and then a little bit of a drop down to sleep. Whereas now I have sleep up closer to nutrition. I think particularly for weight loss and fat loss, those two are as important as one another when it comes to long-term progress. But the other area that I think I've become a little bit more aware of over the last few years is stress because of the amount of people that I've worked with who have struggled to lose weight and lose body fat because they just don't have the stress management techniques or the ability to ma manage stress. And in this case, it normally leads to in the, the, the subsection in that chapter in the book is emotional eating. I have a full section in there on emotional eating because stress is very heavily connected to that. And there's lots of different stress management techniques. And I go through my favorite ones in the book. Some of them are quite high in the extreme, you know, cold exposure, cold showers, cold dips to heat exposure, sauna to others being, you know, mindfulness and using meditation apps and, you know, journaling, things along those lines that can all help with your stress levels and then everything in between. And different things work for different people. For me, I need to be a lot more extreme when it comes to my stress. You know, my body, I just meditation apps and just sitting in a room with headspace doesn't really work for me for the most part. But if I throw myself into a cryotherapy bath or an ice bath, or I go into extreme heat in the sauna, that works tremendously well for anti-stress for me. Whereas that to somebody else is stressful for them. They're the thought of going in a cold shower. They're like, fuck that. That causes me anxiety and stress. Whereas they'll be better to journal or maybe using an app. So you're looking for things based on where you fall on the spectrum to deal with your stress. Like, you know this, Shane, like cortisol, stress hormone. And again, I don't want to simplify a, what can be quite a complicated term yeah. when it comes to, you know, immune systems, sex drive, body composition, et cetera, and stress. But to try and keep it straightforward and simple, if your cortisol is too elevated and your stress hormone is way too high, your body is a basic survival mechanism. Like your body's job isn't to make you look sexy as fuck. Your body's job is to keep you alive. And if your cortisol and your stress is way too high, your body's not in a primary state to, you know, build muscle, lose body fat, lose weight, change its body composition. So 
you really have two ways around that. You either figure out how to massively reduce the source of the anxiety or the source of the stress, which in some cases is quite obvious. Money problems, relationship, bad relationship, a job you hate. Like there's things that are a lot more straightforward that you can see instantly depending on your life circumstance. This isn't the book for this. You know, I wrote Rewire Your Mindset, my second book for that. Or you figure out ways to add in stress management techniques. For me, I know getting up in the morning stresses me out a little bit because, you know, I have a long day, particularly now with the book promotion, et cetera. I know overcommitting and doing loads of things that I love doing work-wise makes me feel a little bit stressed, but I'm not going to stop doing what I do. I love what I do, although it does cause a little bit of stress, traveling around, doing interviews, et cetera. So for me, it's about getting the stress management techniques and then adding in those stress management techniques. So based on where you need to go or how you need to handle it might be cutting the cord with something, you know, setting up a side hustle or breaking up with somebody potentially or removing yourself from toxic people, whatever it is, or you just, you deal with the, find your anti-anxiety or anti-stress techniques that work best for you. Journaling, cold exposure, heat exposure, meditation, cam apps, etc. All of these things. So you decide, but realize that they don't fix themselves. Those problems don't fix themselves unless you take action with them. Stress just doesn't go away randomly for the most part. Even if you're on holiday, you might lose it for a week, 10 days. But what happens when you put yourself back into your normal environment? Like nobody's coming to save you. Nobody's coming to make these changes for you. If you don't manage your stress levels, you don't manage your sleep, you don't manage your nutrition, you don't manage your training, you're probably not going to lose the weight you want to lose. You're not going to lose the body fat you want to lose. But thankfully, it's actually quite straightforward how you fix it. Stress, you experiment with things that work for you. Sleep is very similar. Find the level where you get the highest quality of sleep and you put in strategies around it to help you get there. And the same with your nutrition and training, finding something you can stick to over the long term. Ideally, with training, something you enjoy, particularly because then it doesn't feel like working out. And if you do that consistency, consistently, weight and fat loss will just reduce and it doesn't feel like as much effort as you'd think. Yeah, and I love that because like, I think stress, obviously in the last two years, I think a lot of people, there's been an awful lot of stress and uncertainty and the, we don't like uncertainty as humans. Um, and two massive books that people could read are Why Is Everyone Like Ulcers or Why, Why Is Everyone Like Ulcers? I quoted that. It, it, I've literally quoted Sapolsky in the stress section. I pulled one of his It's very books. intense, that yeah. book. Uh, or the other, Your Body Knows the Score, which is, it makes, it makes you think. <laughs> uh, there's, there's two massive books on stress that people are, if someone's a PT listening to this, I would advise listening to those or getting them. But they're fairly intense and you will need to take notes and stop and do the actual exercises in, in them yeah. if you're kind of going through that. But like stress is like sticking a fork into a toaster and expecting not to get chopped. Your body needs to calm down eventually. <laughs> so true. <laughs> and what about sleep hacks? Because I think sleep, it has a massive, massive impact. Like what sleep hacks? Because you, you're someone who, who likes routine and needs routine. Yeah. Yeah. But most people think that routine limits them. But in fact, it actually creates freedom. Mm-hmm. What are your hacks for sleep for yourself? Yeah, it's, it's funny. It's such a paradox, isn't it? The discipline equals freedom. That And when you have these routines, the things, particularly with sleep, and not everybody is the same because from my years of working with people and Shane, you're the same. We've worked with so many people. There's a huge spectrum of sleep quality for people. People who are good sleepers won't give a fuck about this section full stop because it's not a problem for them. Whereas those who are like me, who are naturally poor sleepers, glue to any podcast interview where people start to speak about sleep because we're always looking for different tools that we could add to our arsenal to potentially improve it. And 
I keep it quite basic. So I use uh, Matthew Walker's book, Sleep, as the reference point in the chapter on sleep. So I talk about his 12 points and then I adapt them slightly in terms of tips for sleep. But also, there's a lot of different things you can do for sleep that are quite low-hanging fruit that yield quite a positive result. One is reducing your stimulant intake later in the day. So obvious, but a mistake so many people make. Like most people, again, there's some genetic disposition to how people will clear stimulants in their body. But for the most part, you're 95% of your population. Things like caffeine, your coffee, it's going to take five and a half hours for a half-life. So if you drink a cup at 12 o'clock at half five that evening, still half of that caffeine is in your system. So if that's in your system at three, four or 5 p.m., you're going to bed with 100 milligrams of caffeine potentially in your system. You're not going to be able to sleep if you did that. But if you don't understand the half-life and how it works with stimulants, it's very easy to fall into that pattern. That's one thing that's a very low-hanging fruit where you just time your caffeine a little bit differently. The second one is having some form of nighttime routine. So I talk in the book about tips for night shift workers because a lot of people work night shift, but those same tips work for people who don't work night shift. I do all of them. So I block out blue light before bed. So that blue light that's on your screen, on your phone, that's going to stop your body producing melatonin, which if you think of melatonin like your sleep hormone, again, I'm massively simplifying it. But if you think of melatonin like your sleep hormone, if you're using um, blue light from your phone or from your screen and you're blocking the main hormone you need to fall asleep, that's going to have a massive impact on your sleep. So you're blocking out blue lights, whether that's an app or with glasses or reading before bed, et cetera. Another thing that can yield massively positive results. I also black out my room, you know, like when you understand the kind of photons in the skin, et cetera, and how any sort of light on your body or skin can keep you awake. I black out my room. So blackout blinds or blackout curtains can work really, really well. And then certain supplements that can be useful. You know, I'm a fan of CBD oil and theanine and, you know, GABA to a degree, although the research is a little bit split in it, but I do use it and I'm a fan. So you're looking at all these things that can potentially add up to improve your quality of sleep at nighttime and then finding your routine. You know, I talk in the book, one of my favorite sections when I was researching was on the chronotypes because that's the the chronotypes of of when you function best through the day and when you're going to be more inclined to sleep. So anyone unfamiliar with chronotypes, they're broken into like, you know, the bear, lion, wolf, etc. But the words we normally use morning person or night owl, that's kind of the general lexicon when it comes to understanding chronotypes and understanding where you fall on that spectrum can be so helpful. So Tommy, who does my videography, all my videos, my podcast editing, etc. Tommy's a night owl. So him trying to get up at 6 a.m. or 5 a.m. is the biggest struggle in the world for him because he does all his best work at nighttime. So when he knows what his chronotype is, it's easier for him to kind of lean into it, assuming that, you know, depending on your job, obviously in circumstances, it's different. But that and arming yourself with that knowledge allows you to kind of work your lifestyle a little bit better around it, particularly now in the COVID age, which COVID era where some people are working from home and there's a bit more flexibility than there once was. That can all help with sleep. And it's just arming yourself with the knowledge. And when I was researching the book, it was a part I wanted to include. And I'm glad because obviously you send things to the publisher and it's a case of what do we keep? What do we discard? And they were like, yeah, we need to keep this. I don't think this is spoken about enough. And that's one of the other things that can help you with sleep. So it's a little bit of a, how long is a piece of string when it comes to getting better because different things will work for different people. But if I was to give a couple of general tips, it's going to be reducing your stimulant intake or at least understand how stimulants work on your body when it comes to half-life, 
have some form of routine and block out that blue light before bed. If you want to add in supplements, great. If you want to be very strict with, you know, going to bed at a certain times, so you don't get that cortisol driven second wind, which can happen to some people if they stay up too late. Yeah, by all means, all those things will help, but stick with the low hanging fruit and the things you be, be consumed with. And if you did nothing at all, but have a regular bedtime and cut your stimulant intake, you'd find probably a massive increase in your sleep quality you know, overnight, pardon the pun. Yeah, and I think the other one there is kind of like the phone use. Like try to get the phone out of the room. Like as if you're looking at other people's bodies, other people's lives, first thing in the morning, last thing at night, you're going to be impacted, especially if you're looking at, say, the woman with the big quads and the big glutes, and that's what you're looking for. And that could impact your self-worth over time. So if that's the first thing, the last thing you see, that'll build over time, it's going to impact you. So, and the blue light is going to emit into your eyes. The blue light blocking glasses are great, but why not try to get an app like Freedom that could block out the app completely that you have to uninstall the app in order for it to get into the apps into into like the likes of Instagram or Facebook, whatever it is. The, the last question I'm going to ask is for people working at home. And I think a lot of people have struggled with kind of like the element of boundaries and stuff with, with kind of work from home. If you had kind of two or three tips for someone who's kind of potentially going out on a diet, trying to lose a little bit of weight in the next little while from working from home, what would, what advice would you give them? The advice would be the same whether they're in the office or at home. The only difference is you probably need to self-create some of your own boundaries, particularly around the food you keep in your house if it's something you struggle with. I have changed my mind about this a little bit in recent years, and, and I kind of flip-flop between the two. A part of me subscribes to the systems over willpower when it comes to not keeping the food in your house house that is going to tempt you, especially if you're in, at working from home all day. So if you don't have a massive amount of sweets or biscuits, et cetera, in the house, you're not going to eat them if they're not on plan. Now that does go against my thesis of not separating food into good and bad categories, but I am a realist. If you're someone who's at the start of your journey, who hasn't healed their food relationship yet, sometimes using those systems over willpower can be helpful to kind of get you from zero to one. I would also try and find something that fits into your lifestyle and schedule and don't overcomplicate it. Like, one of the biggest things, particularly for weight loss and fat loss. Now, someone that wants to run a marathon, do a bodybuilding show, bikini show, you know, uh, something that's extreme. Yeah. Training plays much more of a role in terms of hitting that goal. With weight loss and fat loss, you need to be in a caloric deficit overall, but you don't need to be smashing gym workouts multiple days a week. Like a lot of people can do that with a step count where they're focusing on, you know, 10,000 steps a day or, you know, 9,000 steps a day or 11,000 steps a day, you know, 10,000, just a round number. You know, it's, it's from, I think the Tokyo Olympics, yeah. that was just a random kind of um, marketing campaign, but it's a good number to kind of hit for it's, you know, on your feet for a couple of hours a day. That with some conscious food choices to quite a dramatic change in body composition. So if you're working from home and your goal is to lose a little bit of weight, get your body fat down, establish, well, what do I need to do that's going to give me progress here? And then decide, well, am I going to do this myself or am I going to work with the professional? Both have pros and cons. If you want to work with the professional, they're going to, you know, me, you, other coaches, trainers out there, local people. If you want to work with the professional, they're going to cut your learning curve assuming you've done your due diligence on who's a good fit for you, but it's going to cost time. It's going to cost energy. It's going to cost money to work with a professional or you do it yourself. You listen to podcasts like this. You read books, you read blog posts, you consume information and educate yourself and then you apply it. So if you're working from home, and I think this applies if you're working in an office or wherever you are, 
you have to decide which route you're taking. You know, don't be half pregnant, half in, half out. Like that's the one thing I ask with people I work with. I'm like, if you're committed to me and my program, then commit to it. Like if it's not a good fit, then that's cool. You'll find someone else who's a better fit for you. Or here's a lot of my free content that I'll guide them to or other people who might potentially help them better on their journey. But don't be half pregnant. If you're in, commit to it. And the same as you're self-educating, pick the three or four people. It might be me. It might be Shane. It might be Paul Germany. It might be Tricia. It might be three or four people out there or loads of other coaches. I could literally rhyme off a million people who are either inspiring or professionals of what they do who can advise you. Both have a time and a place in terms of a, a journey. Some people will get you lifted and motivated and inspired. Others will genuinely educate you because that's their area of expertise. Decide what route you're going. And once you've done that, just be consistent with the thing that you've decided to do. And if you're doing it yourself, realize that you don't have to reinvent the wheel. You don't have to eliminate all your favorite foods. You don't have to go to the gym or work out seven days a week. Not only is that unsustainable for most people, it's just not that helpful. And you can get a minimum effective dose by making small changes, with, which will lead to results. Like, I don't know why anybody would work out seven days a week who would get the same results with four days a week. Like, it just, it's a waste of time unless you love working out. You know, I'm assuming the people who the end goal is the main thing and the workout is just a means to an end. If you love working out seven days a week, then the workout seven days a week. Obviously, it's a different issue, different thing. But for an actual goal you're trying to hit, it's a waste of time. Same way as why eat salad three times a day when you don't need to eat it three times a day to lose weight and lose body fat. You know, there's easier way to do these things. And it's just being aware of that, either doing it yourself and educating yourself or working with the professional and then doing that consistently. I love that about being smart. You don't like, it's like kind of like, would you rather work 40 hours a week for the same money or rather work 60 hours a week for the same money? So <laughs> it's kind of adapted to the situation uh, on that side of things. So Brian, I cannot thank you enough for coming on. Uh, so where can people find out about the book, The Keen Edge? And can, where can people work for yourself if you're opening up a program work for yourself as well? Amazing. Thanks so much, Jane. I really enjoyed it. Um, so book is everywhere. Um, the Keen Edge, Mastering the Mindset for Real Lasting Fat Loss, Eason's Bookstation, Amazon, all bookstores, everywhere online, uh, you can pick it up. Um, and then BrianKeyFitness.com is the website. So anyone that wants to check out anything else, just head over there. Amazing. So guys, if you, I'll put all the links into the show notes. Uh, and if you guys want to buy the book, which I highly encourage you to do, there's so many useful tips and it breaks it down into as if he's, Brian's talking to a five-year-old. It really does help. So Brian, thank you so much for coming on. My pleasure. Thank you so much again for having me.